Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. Um, Going to be talking about relational stuff that fouls us up. It's false beliefs. It's myths. It's things that we've bought into. Um we think we know <laughs> we don't know anything you know it's just because we don't have a lot of good relational training i wish in school that there was like a course in this because it's so f- it, it's wild to me how we have this idea that like you know you're too young to date and then magically when you become of age whenever whatever that means we're like oh we think you should just get it and figure it out but it's like well let's say you start dating at 18 let's just go with that for a second you really think 18 year olds 19 year olds 16 year olds you really think that just learning from each other as you go is the best way to do it no so what are you gonna look to your family well your family was also raised without the knowledge and just kind of winged it and figured it out it's like eh. now luckily a lot more people are getting into therapy and couples therapy so hopefully that helps stop what we call the uh intergenerational transmission of really poor mental health and relational skills but there's so much we have to work through we have our family of origin stuff like literally whatever was done to us then we have our attachment stuff um the relate the relationship we have with our parents uh set us up to either feel safe or anxious or insecure around relationships and our ability to tolerate closeness and intimacy um and then every event that happens socially after that reinforces that or, or heals that uh, then we're up against our body esteem and ageism and ableism and, you know, misogyny and toxic masculinity. So the, the gender we're diagnosed with, we're battling and figuring out how much we want to align with what's expected. And there's so much in there. Then we're dealing with work stress and this idea that what we achieve and what we have is our work. It, it's a mess. So it's no wonder that we're like, how do you do a relationship? Um, Share this quick tip with all of you before I'll share it with you again. I do this with all my clients, which is the best thing we can do. Uh, it's not about who's right, who's wrong. Uh, it's just about us wanting to be a better person. We sit down, we uh, map out some of the most important relationships we've been a part of. And we look at what parts of those things we are proud of. What kind of partner was I, you know, and remind myself, these are the things I did. I'm really proud of it. I want to make sure I keep doing that, do more of it. And what are the things I don't feel so great about? And honestly confronting myself and saying, this is what you have to track and be better about next time. Don't do this again. 
and you track it. You literally track it. We don't want to bring our baggage into every future relationship, but most people do because they unconsciously just move forward thinking, I was victimized. This person did horrible things to me. That's why the relationship ended. And even if that's true, you still need to learn about what you did that was good and what you did that was bad because regardless of what was done to you, you still were in that relationship and we aren't always coming from our best. So that is a meaningful exercise for everyone. Please read some really good relationship books. Please use them as workbooks. Track yourself. What do I do? What do I not do? We're always tracking ourselves. We're not assessing our partner. Some people do that. This is what my partner does. And then I point this chapter out to them. No, start with yourself. Track yourself. What do you need to do? What do you need to not do? You can be doing your own little, you know, your own little bit of therapy in that way. Journaling, tracking, goal setting. Also maybe get into therapy to learn how to be a better person. You know, the fact that we're brought into someone's life, we wanna make their life better because of our presence, not worse. So that's part of that. But we're gonna talk about some of the false beliefs because there's a lot of myths and they'll get in our way. And uh, even though those of us that are really confident in this, I want you to have a healthy level of um, questioning or even just curiosity, we'll say. Because um, I still hear some of these things coming into my office. So we're gonna kind of challenge some of these and bust some of them. So this applies to everyone because whether or not you're single, in a relationship, want one, don't want one, as I always say, we're in a multitude of relationships at all times and all these things apply to all of them. Uh, but if we're especially gonna be in a very close relationship um, in any form, socially or romantically, well, it's even more imperative because our mental health is an impact of all the people we spend the most time around, truly. Uh, we're learning from them, we're internalizing things. Uh, they're training us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to take this work seriously, you know? So this is going to be a heavy relational discussion. Fun as always though, try to put some stories in there, but, um, this is work we all need to do. I wish that there was like a course, like I said, that we all had to take. There are some places where, um, people, you know, are more prone to like premarital counseling, but that's for marriage, you know, and that matters. But, um, all the relationships we have, none of them are neutral ever. You know, every time we go on a date or hook up or whatever we're doing, we leave feeling better about ourselves and our body and the potential of love in the future. Um, we leave feeling as though we really can trust others or the opposite. <laughs> Remember that even on an app, take it seriously because that person leaves feeling better about what's possible and interacting with others or worse. You don't know what someone's working on or what someone's trauma is. And so these things dismantle and heal or they, you know, confirm and strengthen. Don't be part of confirming. <laughs> you know, we want to leave people better off. My God. And that's why we go back and look at who we were in prior relationships. Do we leave them better off or worse off? How did we leave? How did we deal with conflict? That's a really powerful moment where we learn about our mental health. Parenting, romantic relationships, social relationships, all these things are mirrors held up to let us learn about ourselves. I say that all the time. So we're going to kind of dive deeper into this. And of course, we'll be doing some DMs. So as always, if you got a DM question for us, topic you want covered, something you want us to dive deeper into, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And past episodes are always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. Taking a little break. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, <laughs> trying to improve our mental health and our relational health. Which basically means uh, debunking some of these myths. We got a lot to unlearn and then we got a lot to relearn. So if you want to really do some deeper work, check out my two books, Sex Outside the Lines and my newer book, Rebel Love. Both of them are kind of a crash course in sex, relationships, gender, and mental health. Really good stuff and uh, try to sprinkle that throughout these topics. But um, right now we're busting some myths. Everyone's a little too confident. Um, used to say that about sex and uh, eroticism as well, where people are like, yeah, I know what all guys want. I know what all girls want. No, you don't. Everyone's different. Every time you meet someone, you have to start afresh. In fact, even with the same people, our lives ebbs and flow. They ebb and flow, excuse me. <laughs> what we needed then is not what we need now. We have to really constantly adjust. Um, that's why I love couples work. We're constantly checking in on what does the relationship need now? It's a powerful question I offer to all of you. Every now and then, stop, ask yourself, what does my relationship most need from me right now? You can even ask your partner, what does our relationship most need from us right now? It's an us and a we. Um, hot tip, that's a good sign when you're thinking in terms of us and we and not in terms of I and me. Relationships, a secure, attached, primary relationship is a regression backwards into a fused state. You're wired, your brains, your nervous systems. We know that from attachment theory. Um, so take that seriously. <coughs> Excuse me, COVID, still have leftover symptoms. Bear with me. Uh, so if you want your relationship to improve, you got to work on it. Please, if you're not working on it, then uh, you're not working on it. You know what I mean? The quality of your relationship is a direct impact of how much work you're doing on it. So if things aren't going well, it's because you're not working on it and you can't work on it if you're not aware of what the work is. So ask yourself, what do I need to do to be a better partner? What does my relationship need from me? And again, feel free to lovingly ask your partner if you need, if you need some answers because I'm sure they got an itemized list in their head. So let's bust some myths. Do opposites attract? Well, it's not as simple as that. And that really isn't important. It's not whether or not opposites attract because in some ways you always will be similar in other ways you're opposite. And the things we write in maybe a dating bio, I like indoors, I like outdoors. It's not really as solid as that. What it's really about is can we form a, a true friendship? Can we value and respect each other's similarities and differences? That's what matters more. In the beginning, it's really cute. We have things to talk about because we build a relationship from that. And if we have nothing in common topically, it doesn't really get off the ground. We have to have some common language. But what it means more is do we have a similar vision? Do we want the same things? That's where compatibility 
responsibility starts to come in. Do we want monogamy? Do we want something serious? Do we want to build a life together? Um, what kinds of things do we like to do with our time? Can we meet each other intellectually and emotionally? So it's not really about similarities or differences. It's more about what does it feel like to be in the relationship with the person? Because we know from really long-term robust relationship that what's most powerful is having a meaningful friendship that you really do enjoy each other. And finding each other attractive is important, but not, but not enough. Um, and it's not just enough if you like each other. What is it like when you sit down and spend time with that person? And that's actually us kind of stepping outside of the words opposites or similarities. Um, some people put too much pressure on, on, on those. It's, it's about how much closeness can we tolerate and how much closeness do we want? What do we like to do with our time together? How present are we? Um, can we respect and do we value the same things? Do we have the same intentions and visions for this? So the, that, that's like the languaging of what we're really looking for. Um, another one that I think is really interesting is distance. You know, is distance good for a relationship or bad for a relationship? And the answer is it really depends. <laughs> it depends on time. It depends on energy. It depends on motivation. You know, a lot of people formed long distance relationships during COVID. A lot of people also just moved in with each other because, hey, let's cohabitate. That wasn't wise for some. Others, they realized, yeah, it worked. But long distance doesn't have to be bad. But you do have to take into account how much time and energy you have. Um, for people that maybe work a lot, don't have a child care, don't really have the financial security, you're not really going to maybe have the means to be dealing well with that distance. I also tell people if you're going to be dealing with distance, have a schedule and a plan. It really helps us to know when we're going to see the other person next. It's harder when it's just open-ended. And so I always tell people when you see them, make sure you have a plan for when you'll see them again. You know, so when that time together is winding down, put something on the books that gives you something to look forward to that really helps us psychologically. It anchors us versus just looking at a wide open space in front of you, knowing that we're going to figure it out, figure it out. Too much time can go by. And if someone's really serious, they'll have no problem committing to putting something on the books. So it is a little bit of a red flag if they always want to just wait and see. And that also can really spike and maintain that anxiety. So make sure you talk about expectations because of that distance. We make no assumptions. We don't assume because of time or other things that were said or done that we're inherently monogamous. That has to be discussed and committed to. We don't assume that based on anything. And until it's discussed, we assume that we're not. And we also say each time, let's, let's put something on the books. Let's know how long we're each going to have to go before we can see each other again. And based on what you come to in those two questions, you really decide if this is something you can do. Some people have too much anxiety um, to be able to tolerate distance um, and not seeing them as often, you know? So you got to kind of sit in that and see how that goes. We're going to take a break and then we're going to actually, no, we have a little more time. So let, let's keep rolling. Sorry, watching the clock. Um, I'm going to throw something at you. This is a, a stat. Uh, nearly 1,000 people. <laughs> It's not, I mean, it's a big number, but at the same time, it's not. Nearly 1,000 people in long-distance relationships from a national sample reported more love, more fun, better conversations, more dedication, less hostility uh, than those who spent regular time together. Now, that is because distance, I hope, when you finally do get the chance to see them, you take that time more seriously and you make more use of that time and you're finally happy to see them. But also it's because you don't have to get in the way of those little bumps and bruises that more time around them and with them 
provides to us. You know, it's like when you're not living with someone, it's lighter and easier. Just like then when they move in, now you're fighting over loading the dishwasher, cleaning the place, leaving things out on the counter. And those are things you don't have to encounter when you're not living together or when someone lives distant. And so you want to take those things lightly. Um, so things can be better because you're distant, but that doesn't mean the relationship is better. It just means that the distance doesn't mean all of those issues. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back keep talking about this. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back. Tonight we're talking about relational myths. We're busting some of them, some of the ones that kind of get in the way of, uh, you know, sticking it out, but also um, mental health because um, if we have the right perspectives and we uh, don't have our expectations too high or too low, if we normalize things that should be normalized, it can soothe us a little bit, you know, because sometimes not really understanding what's what's normal or what's expected can make us dramatize things, you know, or not take them seriously enough. Another little myth is about uh, mismatched sex drives. How important is that? Well, it's a question I ask you. How important is that? You know, do you drive most of your sense of care, love, and desirability from touch and affection and sex? Well, then it's going to be very important. Um, <laughs> if you're monogamous, your partner's sex drive becomes your limits too. You know, the lower desiring partner will often decide how often and how much and what kind of sex you have. So you have to really encounter that. That's why I tell people have sex sooner than later. It's an important part of a relationship, especially if monogamous. And you want to understand what that means, what that feels like, if that's tolerable, if you can commit to that. Because um, some people, they don't really feel their most robust and connected to and intimate through sex. And so they can deal with the ebbs and flows. Others, it's very much tied to that. So it's a little bit of an individual decision, but also know that there's a lot of factors that can also play into that. Medications, um, how we feel about our body at the current time, stressors in our life. And so some of this can ebb and flow. We can work on some of this. Um, but you do wanna check in on that. For some people, it's gonna have a higher weight and for others it won't. Funny enough, Research says that when things are going well, people tend to put a lesser value on it. That's because they have other things going on that they can look to to feel good or to feel you know happy in the relationship. When things aren't going well, we tend to put a lot of value on the lack of sex. We see it as something that we wish we had to bring us together and we don't have a lot else to look to to feel good. So we look at that and we notice this absence more. So when we're doing good, we don't care as much. When we're not doing good, we tend to care more. But you also have to ask yourself personally, like how important is that for you? Um, how do you most feel cared for? Their limits are our limits, but that's the same with everything. <clears throat> you know, not just sexual compatibility, but look at social compatibility. If you're someone who likes to socialize a lot, often with a lot of people, and your partner doesn't, that limit will also become somewhat of your limit. Unless you're, you know, one of those partners that says we don't have to do everything together, which I do agree with, and they can socialize to their heart's content and you socialize to your content and you see them when you see them and you participate in some of it. You don't have to participate in everything. But that's also, again, the case with whatever we're talking about, how often we travel, how we spend money, how often we socialize, how often we have sex. The, lowing, the lowest desiring partner, the person with the least interest, will tend to become what the limit for those that couple is. And you need to find that out. And that's where you go back to the long distance piece. Some long distance relationships do better because you're not bumping into a lot of that. But then when you finally do, you might not have the kind of relationship you thought you had. It felt so compatible because the you know time you spend with them when you are in the same city, you make more meaning out of that. But then when you're finally together, if that happens, 
these are the kinds of things you then later on the back end bump into having built a lot of, you know, time and connection on the front end, having not assessed this. So it can get in the way. Um, you know, that's how that is. But, um, check that out, talk about it, you know, but it's something that really needs to be more experienced. I, I, I shared the story many, many years ago, how I, I spoke at a class <laughs> at a certain university. It was a Christian university and they very much believe in and preach waiting until marriage for sex, which I think is a horrible idea. Um, cause how much you love and care about someone does not promise or speak to what kind of sex life you'll have. And they were, can't we just talk about it and, and, and trust how we present who we are sexually and, and that will help us assess compatibility. And I was like, absolutely not. It's experiential. You, you, you can only say I'm into this and this is how often I think I'd like to do it. But you know, sex, like everything else is co-created. Um, who we were with someone else or who we are with ourselves isn't who we are with this current partner. So we can't look to who we were with others to determine who we'll be with this person. We have to actually step into it and find out in real time. So it's always remains to be seen. And uh, I work with those couples who would, you know, really illegitimize the importance of it and then married anyway, having not explored it or having not been happy. And then they show up in my office saying, fix it, make it work. And I can't, I can't create something that isn't there. I can help you capitalize on what's there already and amplify it and, you know, make it a little bit better, but we're still working with a baseline that I don't have much control over. So sex therapy can't create chemistry and compatibility. That's not there. It can just help circle back. It can help stoke it a little bit, but we're still working off of whatever the natural baseline is between these two people. So, um, take it seriously because it's a beautiful tool and resource for connection and intimacy. We tend to undermine it. We tend to think it doesn't really matter. But again, like I said, in relationships that have a lot of trouble, they put a lot of power on that. Um, studies show that. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me, cough, check in on that. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a break, do some DMS and then we'll come back to this, uh, bust in some myths. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMS on our love line, IG page questions you got topics you want covered, things you want us to circle back, drop deeper into, let us know, and uh, we are channelq.com is where you want to go for past episodes. You can binge, post, share, we listen, scroll down, look for Love Line, click on it. They're all there. But um, stick around, we got more to come. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all, because we will be right back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been single for about five years. Really been focusing on myself, really spending time with my friends and family. That's beautiful, you know? Sounds like you're happy, you're busy, you're full, you know? Relationships, they add stuff, they take away stuff, they take us away from our friends and family at time, they make our lives easier, they make our lives harder. We learn about ourselves, the mirror is held up, so that can be difficult. You know, the grass is greener. Uh, you said recently, over the last few weeks, started to crave sex and sexual attention. Yep, it's part of it. You said, I feel so lost in trying to do this. My friends take me out, just feel awkward. Even when I try to flirt with someone, it's not really going well. I need to get back in the game. What's the question? <laughs> Kind of just telling me. So I'll try to form a question now. This oh, the fat, uh, past few weeks you've wanted sex. Got it. So your friends are like, let's go out. We'll meet someone. Got it. You feel awkward when you're doing it because you don't know how to flirt. It's practice. It takes practice, man. You've been single for five years and you haven't been out there trying to flirt. You've lost your game. It happens to all of us. It's about practice. 
It's about practice and confidence that comes with experience. So my answer is do it more, do it more, do it often, get on some apps, start flirting, send boundaries, communicating, asking for what you want. When you're out, start flirting, communicating, asking for what you want, but practice, 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 step into your vulnerability. Don't stay safe, lean in, go up to people, flirt, smile. Just one step more is all you need to do. Sometimes you're not willing to go all the way up and flirt, but be closer to them, stand nearer, start a conversation about something stupid, look back, smile. All these like little things are sometimes all that's needed because it just gives that other person just enough confidence or just enough receptiveness that then maybe they'll do more work. But remember, everyone's wanting to stay safe. Everyone's got that same anxiety. Very few people are so assertive that they'll just go from zero to 60 with you. So you gotta be willing to meet them halfway, if not all the way. If you want sex and some attention, then you gotta be the one willing to go create it. You can't say I'm waiting to cautiously, I'm cautiously and passively hoping for someone else to do all the work that I won't do. It doesn't work like that. You gotta be a part of creating the kind of world you wanna live in. If you want that sex and attention, you, you, you gotta set it up that way. And in the very least, do little things that communicate to them. I'm interested and I'm open. Come talk to me, hit on me. But some people want to do nothing. It's like I always say, have no headphones on, have your head up, be approachable, be accessible, smile at people, smile back, start conversations, engage in conversations, be out as much as possible. You got to do all the things that communicate to someone. You can approach me. I'm accessible. I'm interested, you know, and sometimes you got to be willing to go up and hit on someone. Don't be that person where someone walks by and smiles. You keep walking too. Turn around, say, hey, what's your name? Walk up to someone, ask them a question. You know, you got to live in the world in a single accessible way. That's all I got for you. And on the apps, use them, respond, follow up, you know, but that's all we got. But I'm, I'm happy for you. Five years later, you're ready for it. All right, you've done your thing. Bring it in, but it takes time. You're not going to go out a few times. You can't go out a few times and then think it's just going to happen. If it hasn't, it's not working or something's wrong. Some people are wild with their time frame. They'll be like, oh, I've been on the apps and I'm not meeting anyone. I'm like, well, how long you been on there? And they'll be like, a few weeks. And I'm like, what? Well, the big, I've been single for a year or two and I haven't met anyone. I'm like, yeah, it takes years sometimes. How many amazing freaking compatible chemistry laden people are out there existing, do you think, for you? Not as many as you think. It takes time, but you just got to be willing to do the work. A lot of people aren't willing to step into their own anxiety to make these things happen, but yet want other people to be willing to do that. It just doesn't work that way. And please don't gender it. I don't care what your gender is. You have to be willing to be assertive as well. You also have to be willing to hit on people. You also have to be willing to ask people out. So start doing it. Um, I promise you, it's about practice. The more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get. The more you get rejected, the less fear you'll have of rejection. So you got to get rejected a lot. And that's how you know you're in the game. You get a lot of rejection. You're like, but I'm proud of myself because that means I'm actually sticking myself out there. All right. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to circle back and cover, and past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. You can binge, post, share, re-listen. I want you to listen so much that you hear me in your head communicating all these things, pushing you out there, shoving you to in your anxiety, you know what I mean, making you do the work. Um, but stick around. More to come. We'll be right back. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Stick around. All right, y'all, we are back and we are busting relational myths. <laughs> These ideas that get in our way of finding the love and maintaining the love we want to have. That's the problem. You know, these are ideas. These are concepts. And um, 
they get in our way. Talk about the difference between opposites attract, do they, don't they? It's far more nuanced and complex than that. Distance, is that bad? Does it harm a relationship? Well, it can give us a false sense of compatibility, that being together day to day in the same city nearby each other kind of, uh, you know, uh, confirms or denies. I think it is important if you're going to build a committed relationship to spend long standing time together to see what day to day is like. Can't just be a weekend warrior relationship that doesn't help us understand what we do on a Tuesday as a couple and how we fit into each other's social lives. So I think it allows for the beginning to get some robustness because we take it more seriously and we treat our time together more fragilely. But, you know, we need to see what the day-to-day does for us. Uh, Mismatched sex drives. Well, that ebbs and flows, and that's important if you're going to be monogamous, and it's an important part of assessment for compatibility to understand what you're signing up for. So I think that's very important. Um, Also, just how you deal with each other's moods and feelings. It's a big one. You know, we have a longstanding history of people stonewalling each other, which means never being open or available for emotional processing or vulnerability. And they say things like, get over it, you're always upset. Instead of just creating a safe container. Part of the work of being a mentally healthy individual is, is being a large container, being able to contain your emotions and other people's emotions. Emotions are important. It's how we communicate our needs. It's how we connect. We don't want to shame them or ignore them or undermine them. In fact, that's what we call ignoring bids. And when someone makes a bid for our attention or to connect with us, we want to be available to that. Otherwise, they stop trying and then we drift. Um, Whether or not you find something meaningful or important, prioritize the person in front of you, not whatever you were doing. Or you say to them, give me a minute, I'll be back. But our feelings need to feel safe. You know, we need to feel as though we can go to our partner. And that's demonstrated with experience. How are they when we go to them? Of course, it's okay to say not right now, or I don't like the way I'm going to respond, or I don't feel like I'm in the right space for processing this, or us as a couple, we're not managing this well, let's come back to it. But you have to come back to it. (laughs) That's the key. Let them know when, you know, let's talk later tonight, and then make sure you do. Let's talk tomorrow, make sure you do. Or let's go for a walk and settle down, and then we'll circle back. Awesome. Or you say, let's reserve this for couples therapy. Awesome. Or we're away on vacation. Now's not really the best time. Let's come back to this when we get home. Awesome. That's not stonewalling as long as you do come back to it. But we don't have a relationship and won't feel safe in one if our feelings aren't safe. So part of being in one is the ability and willingness to process. You have to be able to tolerate that. Some of us are raised in families though where we weren't trained to be able to do that. Or we were raised in families or we've been in relationships with partners where their expression is so dysregulated. It's not right-sized at all. And they just vomited on us. And so feelings to us feel very unsafe. Or maybe our partners or our parents were abusive. And we have to learn how to heal that. And we heal that by softening. Uh, But also by being with partners that are healthy enough in their expression, right? So it comes from both sides. We have to talk about that. We have to look at that. That's sometimes the work that happens in couples therapy. The person who's sharing has to right size it so it's not dramatized and it's not unsafe to be sat with. So they have to process it and they have to regulate and they have to right size it. And then the listener has to create enough space to hear it, you know, and to deal with the feelings and the things that come up in that expression. That's how healthy communication happens, making room for everything, being open to it. We can't say things like, you know, smile more, be on the bright side, let it go, get over it. It's very dismissing. And we don't learn and grow from that. But you do hear that sometimes. Um, I love this one. I pulled this out of some of the research I was looking at. It, it, it's kind of a myth. We're going to turn it into one. But 
It's more of a question. Will being more positive save my relationship? The person asked, and I thought, you mean toxic positivity? You mean fakeness, falseness? You mean uh, presenting as someone you're not? You mean denying important parts of yourself? Yeah, um, it, it will save your relationship if you want a relationship of deprivation and distance, sure. <laughs> Um, but if you want a relationship that actually has intimacy and closeness, uh, no, please express all of your emotions. They're all good. It's just how you express them that matters. Digest it first, chill for a second, right size it, think about it for a minute, then take it to someone. We don't just vomit it out. We don't want to be that impulsive. It's okay to sit with something for a second. Cause again, it's about how sensitive we are, right? And then how reactive we are, and then it's our time back to balance. Those are the factors we're always assessing. So think about that. You don't wanna be hypersensitive where everything's upsetting, and then you don't wanna be reactive once you're upset, where everything's a 10, and then you don't wanna take forever to get back down to a zero. That's the work. The work is actually always keeping it at a lower level, You know, making it safe to, to be heard. You can't expect a partner to stay present and open to a dramatized, abusive expression. That's not what we're going for. And sometimes people don't notice how they're presenting it. And they think the problem is the person won't receive it. But pay attention to how you're delivering it because that matters too. All right, we're gonna take a little break. Come back, keep talking about relational myths. Uh, stick around, y'all. You're listening to Loveline. Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back talking about relational myths. Oh, we're just busting the one about positivity. I want to be with a real person, at least personally. I can say that. I'm sure you do as well. You don't want someone who's faking it, selling a dream, or just trying to be liked, just trying to be a people pleaser. We talked about that on the show the other night. We want a real person. That means we have to take them in their totality, the good, the bad, the ugly. Just be thoughtful in how you express something because sometimes the reason why someone can't hear us or sit with our emotions is because we express them in a really dramatic way. So chill out, right-size it, take a breath, and then express it in a way where it can be heard. It's a system. Um, here's another interesting one. Again, this is kind of formed as a question, but it's a little bit of a myth that's buried in there. Shouldn't my partner always have my back? Well, hold on a minute. What are we talking about? I don't want our partners to co-sign on things that aren't in our best interest or are detrimental for our relationship. A healthy friend and a healthy partner will call you out lovingly on your stuff. Like, hey, that was a little harsh. That doesn't feel good. Or, hey, yeah, you know, as we talked about, you tend to make everything a 10. This feels like it's a three or a four. Can we maybe crank it down a little bit? Notice my tone. It's loving. It's caring. It's what we call relational. It's a, it's a safe space to process in. But we don't want to just agree with everything our partner says or does because they're not always right. And we want them to take into account how they impact people. And so, yeah, we have to be able to speak up. We have to be able to let people know what we need and what the relationship needs. It's really important. I tell people to constantly sit down and talk about that. What does my relationship need right now? How's our relationship feeling this week, this month, this year? Checking in on things. And sometimes our job is to just be a mirror and a hold, you know, hold it up and let people see who they are. So please don't just co-sign on everything and anything. There's no growth in that. We don't learn from that. It's so performative. Um, that kind of ties into like forgiveness. 
healthy couples are ready for repair and they focus more on care and connection and they get away from being right and making sure everyone agrees on the same reality because sometimes both realities are right. And it can't be about that. It has to be about the connection in the relationship is the way we're talking is, is where we're at right now going back towards repair and connection, or is it just amplifying? We want to make moves towards back towards, um, but I, I really like that one. Should I forgive my partner? You know, depending on who I'm working with, I always say to the person in front of me, you are responsible for making the repair. Adults don't care who started it. Adults don't think in terms of fairness. Adults think in terms of, I want to stay connected. And I want to be a part of making us reconnect. And so I'm always willing to take that on. And as I say all the time, there needs to be an adult in the room at all times. If you and your partner are stepping into your childish selves, well, we're screwed. And one of you, regardless of who started it, regardless of whose fault it is, regardless of fairness, be willing to always be the better self. And so should I forgive my partner? Yeah, if they've given you a true apology and you know that they're accountable and they're, and they're learning. Yeah, always. We don't want to be moving forward in resentment. That's not good for us. That's not good for them. That's not good for the relationship. Um, here's a study. I'll throw this at you. A study of newlyweds <laughs> found that after being forgiven, partners started more arguments, nagged more, and were more critical and moody. Being overly forgiving doesn't necessarily solve problems, but can sometimes make it worse. But that's because those people didn't learn and work through. It's not just about saying, okay, I forgive you. It's about saying, let's sit down and learn from this so that we both feel safe that this won't necessarily happen again. And we both demonstrate that. So it's about following through. It's not just topically or superficially moving on. Because some couples are conflict avoidant. They're so afraid of sitting in conflict that they just want to resolve even when it's not. Um, so think about that. It's not we need to just not be conflict or in conflict at all costs no matter what. Healthy couples have fights. So that's another myth we have to bust. That sometimes we go through times where there's more conflict because we're going through a working through phase, a learning phase, a transforming phase, <clears throat> a growing phase. Not every phase is a romance phase and not every phase is a maintenance phase. The romance phases are awesome. We're going to cycle through those. The maintenance phase where everything's just kind of plateaued and neutral, that's awesome as well. But it's in the times where it's a little rougher and a little conflictual that we're growing and learning and transforming. Allow that, but manage it well. And make sure you're reconnecting throughout it. At the end of a rough couple session, I always say to couples, make sure you reconnect. Be aware of what you two need to do or say or where you need to go so as to be able to come back together. We have to be able to ebb and flow in and out. Just like I always say, if you're away on vacation or this isn't the right time, we have to be able to compartmentalize and come back to it. Write it down, put it in the notepad on your phone, and when it's a better time and a safer space, we'll circle back. We're not sweeping it under the rug, we're not ignoring it, but we're compartmentalizing it for the right time. You don't wanna be that couple that can't do that, that can't reconnect because we need to stay connected in this moment. You wanna be that couple that's battling it out at the restaurant, that's a mess. <laughs> you wanna be able to say, hey, we're sitting here eating in front of a bunch of people. This is a very heated, triggering topic. Let's lovingly finish our meal and connect over all the other things we enjoy. And when we get home, we'll talk it out again and then make sure you do. But you can't always say, no, we're battling this out now. That is not a sign of relational health. And sometimes you also have to go to bed angry because we're not going to stay up saying things we can't take back, stay up later hurting each other and then being more tired in the morning. That's not a good sign. So it's that flexibility trusting that you still care about each other, connecting to the parts of them that you still love, that are still there, 
and trusting and knowing that we'll come back to this at a better space, place, and time. But only if that's real. <laughs> Not everyone can believe that because of that earlier point about stonewalling where some people never want to sit in difficult material. Experiential avoidance of difficult material is not good. We have to make room for everything. That's part of humanity. So in not doing that, we're denying each other's humanity. There's going to be rough times, but that doesn't mean things are bad or broken. It's expected. So normalize that so that when it happens, you're like, ah, I knew this was, I knew this was coming. But you don't want to always live there. That's the other point. These are phases. But if that's all the relationship is, that's not good. And that's when it's definitely time for some couples therapy because you might need someone to kind of get in there with you and help you, you know? All right, we're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna finish up the topic of uh, relational myths to break and uh, then we'll do some DMs. So you got a DM for us? Questions, topics, things you want covered, put in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, we are busting relational myths. There are so many and they are ridiculous. Let's look at another one. Uh, well, I'm going to generalize this one. It's the uh, different quotes that tell you how often a happy couple should be having sex. Um, there's no right number. In fact, I always refuse to give a number. Y'all got to be honest with where you're at. Why? Do you want sex? What does sex mean for you? What do you need right now? Are there other ways of getting that need met? I mean, there's so many nuances to it. It's not just, oh, we're having a lot of sex, so all's well, maybe. But for some couples, they misuse sex. Please don't assume that because it's done within a loving, healthy context or within marriage, that's always healthy. Sometimes it's a way to avoid dealing with bigger issues. And you unfairly think, well, we're having sex, so we're good. No, you're not. Maybe you're not at all. Maybe that's a cover. And maybe you need to stop having sex and really deal with what's going on. Or maybe you over-rely on it to feel close because you can't tolerate being emotionally or psychologically close. Or maybe you do it when you don't want to, to shut your partner up. Have more transparency and more honesty. Talk it out. Have it because you want to have it. Have sex that's worth having. But there's no magic number. And how we use it's going to ebb and flow depending on what's going on in our lives and what its purpose is. So ask yourself, like, what am I doing this for? Another myth is that having a child is going to solve relationship problems. Dear God in heaven, if the relationship's not going well, please do not bring in this complicating um, hand grenade. Make sure your relationship is solid before you have a child. It makes things worse. But some people think, I just need something to love. It'll distract me. It's a cover for being in a bad relationship with a, a, a partner of deprivation. Acknowledge that. Own that. Bringing a child in can create more love. It can bring a couple close. It can create a family unit or the opposite. But don't have a child so as to not have to face that we're distant, that we don't have anything in common, that we don't connect over anything. It doesn't make things better. It doesn't promise that. Think about that. Relationships aren't simple. They're not easy. They do take work. We have to be willing to do it. But we don't want to rely on these like big, big, big solutions that sometimes just make things harder and worse. Again, if we're not managing the, the more simple day-to-day -day things well, please don't think that a baby is going to be the thing that solves it. Um, here's another one. I love this one. <coughs> Excuse me. Jealousy. That without it, you don't love me. And that with it, I can feel loved. So many things to say about jealousy. All jealousy isn't valid. Just because your partner feels jealousy about something, it doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong and you need to stop it. We don't have to honor all forms of jealousy. Sometimes they are completely ridiculous. The question should be, is this really rooted in something meaningful? Is there something I should be doing? Often jealousy is a sign that we just need to spend more time together. 
But sometimes people just have inherited that from prior relationships or people need to work on some soothing or people need to have better expectations and understand boundaries more knowing that their partner's allowed to have a life outside of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So be very thoughtful about that one. I, I work with a lot of couples where they think if I'm jealous or upset about something, my partner's job is to remove that immediately. But what can happen is the, the long grocery list of all the things that they're supposed to remove becomes longer and longer and longer. It's an avoidance tactic. It's an attempt at control. But if we work instead on feeling more trust, then we don't need those tactics. When we don't feel safe in the actual relationship itself, we tend to try to do these weird structural stuff like, I'm going to go through your phone. I want to know who your friends are. I don't want you hanging out with that person. That's a sign that the core of trust isn't there. And these little side things won't make you trust someone. You have to actually work on a better foundation of generalized trust so that it doesn't matter where they are or who they're with. Because if you trust your partner, they can be with anyone at any time in any place because you trust them and you know that their boundaries are solid. You know that all is well and that they're always going to err on the side of the relationship and will consider your feelings about things. If you trust that, then all's well. Work on getting to that place because you don't want to just, like I said, keep making the list longer and longer and longer of all the places they can't go, people you don't think they can see because that's abusive and that's toxic and your partner should leave over that. So if you don't trust, you have to ask yourself, is it that I have to learn to trust or is it that my partner's not worthy of trust? If they're not worthy of trust, it might be time for me to leave. If I need to learn to trust, I need to work on that because I don't want to make my presence in this person's life make their life harder and more miserable and smaller. When we date and we bring people in our lives, our life should get bigger because we've brought someone new in. Our life shouldn't be shrinking and shrinking and shrinking down around their insecurities. Don't let your insecurities run the relationship and don't let your partner's insecurities run the relationship and run your life. Lovingly reflect that back, that that's not valid, that's not rooted in reality, I need to hand that back to you to work on, but I'll work, But let's spend more time together, let's work on building trust, let me do more things that, that, that create that, but you wanna work on the core, not all the rough edges. <laughs> you know, because I see some people do that and the world gets smaller, and smaller and smaller and it gets more toxic and then their worst nightmare what they're trying to avoid ends up actually happening they leave or infidelity or whatever it is because they're suffocated you know infidelity is always the worst solution it's a horrible solution it solves nothing but some people do go there so um okay so that's that y'all good stuff uh past episodes want to check them out want to binge them post them share them learn more go to wearechannelq.com scroll down look for love line and click on it they're all there and uh when we come back we're going to do some dms so if you got a question or a topic you want covered put them in the dms on our love line ig page you're listening to love line with dr chris on channel q and odyssey we'll be back T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This question says, hey, Dr. Chris, how can you know the difference between a red flag and just a simple compatibility issue? For example, I've been talking to this new guy. Things are great, but he's very reactive. Oh, yeah, that's a red flag. Maybe bumping into a deal breaker. I'll circle back and say more in a minute. He assumes without listening, wow. And the times that I've gotten him to take a breath and listen, he generally does understand. But is that a compatibility issue or a red flag? That's a red flag. Now remember, there's a difference between deal breakers and red flags. And some people see what should be a deal breaker as a red flag. So let me just comment on that quickly. Deal breakers are verbal or physical abuse. If someone hits, name calls, bullies, or anything like that, you're out, peace, bye. You don't need that, no one needs that. I don't care if you're married for 20 years. If, you, if you're really in a relationship already and that behavior emerges, let them know that can't happen anymore. And if it does, I'm gonna have to demand that we get into some therapy and work on it. And if that doesn't change or if you won't do that, I'm out. Because abuse is never okay, period, end of story. I don't care how long you've been with them or what the scenario is, get out. Having said that, red flags are things where we go, oh, I got to keep an eye on that. Got to keep an eye on that. And if it doesn't change, I'm out. And maybe I bring it up and say, hey, listen, I, I'm really enjoying getting to know you, but there's a lot of reactivity. I, I wanted to lovingly mention that because it's making me not always feel safe sharing my feelings. And it's also just not a good trait. So can we work on that? Can you work on that? And their response is everything. Be with people that are willing to examine themselves and work on it. And if not, you got to go. So track it. Um, I like that you're willing to help co-regulate. Barred functioning is a gift of being with a secure, safe partner where they help us do what we can't do for ourselves because that's what reactivity can sometimes be. This person wasn't raised in a family where he was shown how to deal with emotions. That's something that we're shown. And he's just moving through life, you know, upsetting people. And you're lovingly saying, hey, listen, this is how I meant that. And you're talking him down. Again, that's barred functioning. It's co-regulation. I want that for all partners. And if that helps, that's good. And if he starts to internalize that, he'll be able to do that on his own. So all might be well. Keep doing that. But it's okay to also let this person know, hey, listen, your reactivity at times makes it very hard for me to comfortably share what I'm feeling. I need you to work on that so I can stay in this relationship with you. And if you say it like that with that tone, then I hope they hear you. But if they get mad or defensive, well, then this person isn't open to any reflection or growth or learning and you got to go. We're no longer staying in relationships that are toxic or bad for us because the impact is too great. And we're working on having more self-worth than that. <clears throat> Truly, I'd rather people be single than in abusive relationships. Singledom won't harm you. Abusive relationships will. Singledom won't 
won't make you have more work to do if you do get in a relationship down the road. A bad toxic relationship does. And the more we're in them, the more work we have to do and the more our new partners punish. Because one of the most difficult things I work with some individuals is them not taking that forward and for them to actually be in the here and now with the person that's there and not making assumptions based on past relationships, not treating them in the way that past relationships have gone. And we often do that getting very defensive because our past partners were very attacking or reactive. But this person's calmly just saying, hey, you hurt my feelings. And instead of being in the here and now with the safe person, lovingly sharing that as they should, we're being all reactive because in the past, it was always done with verbal abuse and attack. So it does harm us. Toxic, abusive relationships harm us. So we're, we're leaving people that name call. We're leaving people that throw things at us or around us. That's implied violence. That's violence, even though they didn't throw it at you. They're slamming things around you. That's someone who's very dysregulated. That is not safe, especially if it's escalating. So yes, it's a red flag, which means we need to track it more and decide if it's going to move into a deal breaker, I'm out. Or if it moves into a green light because you've shared this with them and they're like, I hear you, I'm going to work on it. And they do. And then it's on them, right? Otherwise, I'm glad the good is good, but that then sometimes becomes the trap that the good is really good. So we're willing to deal with the bad. No, that's not, it doesn't matter. It, the, the, it doesn't matter how good the good is. We look at the bad and we say, is this acceptable? Period. We don't let anyone off the hook because when, when things are good, they're really good, right? So um, good stuff in that. All right, y'all, that is our show. This weekend, please focus on tons of self-care, as much joy and pleasure and rest as you can possibly squeeze in. And we're working on being kind with ourselves and others. We're not, we're not overworking. We're not burning ourselves out. We're trying to do as much as we can, 60 to 70%, you know? And uh, past episodes of Loveline, though, check them out over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on the show. They're all there. Binge, post, share, we listen. And uh, we'll be back. So, y'all, thanks for hanging out as always. And please, please enjoy the rest of your night. See y'all later. Good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.